Hello, friends. Welcome to Coffee and Deer Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Pinizzato, here with the doctor, Mr. Mike Broman. Today's guest is going to be Sam Burgesson. He's the president of Wildlife Research Center. We're going to be talking scent control uh, and also a little bit of the history of Wildlife Research Center, which is a pretty neat story. But this is a great time of year to be talking scent control because as this is coming to your ears, this is the middle of October and things every day, things just get a little bit better and a little bit better. So scent control is key to that. We're also going to have our first hunting stories of the year. The doctor and I have been out in the woods doing some hunting. We've got one tag punched so far, which we can talk about. So we certainly look forward to that. This is the easiest time of year for us to do a show because there's just so much to talk about. And uh, our next episode will be an Ask NDA Anything episode. So remember, get your questions in for that. And also today, we have what I can only describe as an epic B-team report. Because the other thing that happens is once the season starts, not only do we have a lot of things to talk about hunting-wise, it gives the doctor and I much more opportunity to go out and do stupid crap. And we have not disappointed. We have come through. And you hear some giggling in the background. Joining us right now is a man of many talents who has been tackling lots of tasks despite this being the start of archery season. We're talking about putting up siding on his barn to doing dad duty to all of that. And finally, also getting in the woods at least a couple of times. So let's bring him in, the doctor. How are you, Mike? I'm doing okay. I'm excited for that B-team report. So I'm not going to talk much today. Let's <laughs> I mean, not to take anything away from our guest today, because it was a very interesting and entertaining and informative uh, talk, but uh, oh my gosh, that B-team report is going to be epic. Yeah. I mean, I I almost feel bad making our listeners wait till the end for the B-team report, but you know what? Too bad. You have to wait and, and listen. This is good though, because this is timely scent control. I actually, as part of my hunting story that I'll be providing an update on, have a story about getting winded. So uh, this is good. This is something we all deal with out there. And I think today is just the, it's the perfect time to have this conversation. Also, our show sponsor today, guess what? Wildlife Research Center. Makes sense, right? Uh, they are a partner sponsor of the National Deer Association. They were also longtime partners of the National Deer Alliance. Sam Burgesson, actually, the, the president there, he is on the board of directors of the NDA as well. And we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about their products, so I won't do a lot of it here. But I do want to mention their hunt, their scent killer gold with Hunt Dry Plus. This is the stuff you're spraying on your clothes. You can spray it on your equipment, and it can last up to 20 days, which is pretty awesome. And so it's funny. Um, we talk about this product a little bit with Sam when he's on and he mentions, I mean, this just should be the simplest tip in the world, but you know, I'm a knucklehead. So, you know, for me, it takes a while. He said, you know, and ideally what you would do is you would spray your stuff down and let it dry. That way you're not out there getting all wet and spraying yourself <laughs> before you go in the woods. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I always do. Uh, and so. Well, I mean, truthfully, we can't blame you because almost every commercial that we've seen historically has been that demonstration someone at the tailgate spraying themselves down and then off they they grab their bow and off they go so i'm not going to fault you for that one. Oh, good i appreciate that i remember some mornings where i would go to spray myself and it was and my stuff was frozen in the bottle <laughs> i was just like you know what the hell with it <laughs> i'm going without anyway we're going to talk about wildlife research center products a good company not only do they give to the National Deer Association. They give to a lot of different groups. And so uh, we appreciate that as well. Uh, one other thing to tell you about here is, uh, well, actually a couple little promotions. We still are doing the Deer Steward One promotion through October 31st. You get 20% off if, that, if you wanna become a Deer Steward. Certainly encourage you to do that. That is an online class as well. So you don't even have to leave your house. Frankly, if you wanted to, you could sit in your hunting blind with your iPad or whatever and, and do it there if you got a signal. So there's that coming up. Uh, also, we're still running the podcast promo to get your membership for $5 off. So for 30 bucks instead of 35, you get your NDA membership, four issues of Quality Whitetails Magazine and the coveted gray NDA membership hat. So we're still running that promo code podcast whenever you check out. Doesn't matter if it's uppercase or lowercase, we keep it simple. 
All right, we have a lot to get to today. We want to talk a lot about uh, a lot of deer stories. So let's go ahead and see what Sam has to say about scent control in the deer woods. Sam Burgesson joins us here on the Coffee and Deer podcast. Sam is the president of Wildlife Research Center. He's also one of my bosses. It's always good to have your boss on once in a while. Uh, he is on the National Deer Association Board of Directors. He's the vice chairman. He was the former chairman of the National Deer Alliance before our merger a couple years ago. Uh, he's a business leader. He's a leader in the hunting sense industry. Uh, he's also a longtime deer hunter and outdoorsman. Sam, pleasure to have you on. Fill in the gaps. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, thanks for having me on, Nick. Um, yeah, I've been <clears throat> Wildlife Research Center is a is a family owned business. My dad and uncle started the business um, when I was just a little kid back in 1983. Um, started off very small. the 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 first year um, that the business was established. Um, they put advertising into uh, fur, fish, and game. They spent about ten thousand dollars in various uh, print ads, and they figured if if one out of a thousand people who saw that ad based on the circulation bought a bottle of of scent, you know, the mailbox would be just packed full of orders. And if it was one out of a hundred, it would be just unbelievable. And anyways, they they ran those ads, and they had a really good product that they developed. And uh, that that first year, they sold about a hundred bottles of scent. So it didn't quite work out like <laughs> it was. It was it was a tough start. Um, our first product that we came out with was Trails N three hundred seven, and that's got kind of an interesting history on it on its own. So my dad and uncle, you know, when they were young, they were trappers, and they were always experimenting with different scents and different set, trap sets and stuff like that. And they started noticing at some of their trap sets that not only were they attracting the animals that they were pursuing, but they would see deer tracks showing up sometimes around these sets. And they started to discover that there was some ingredients, some unconventional scents and ingredients that were attractive to deer and, and interesting. And as they got a little older and were getting into deer hunting with my grandpa and whatnot, um, they started experimenting. And back at the time, the, the only deer scent available was just very basic, you know, deer urine, type scent and uh you know they thought that they could do something much more intriguing and much more compelling so um it was called trails n 307 because it was approximately 307 iterations before they felt they hit it just right and uh um you know my grandpa and his friends would experiment with that and i'm just and laughing really good so sorry to interrupt you sam but i'm just laughing oh, because okay. one of my main questions was like what does the 307 stand for and i thought it was like one of those things with like i remember rolling rock beer had a 22 <laughs> at the bottom of their bottle and nobody knew what the hell it meant and so but you can write out with it it wasn't like some big secret it took them 307 tries to figure it out <laughs> yeah it was a lot of painstaking time and experimentation and field testing and and you know that's interesting too field testing was a lot harder back then than it is now now we have trail cameras and you can set up multiple sets and you know see how many deer come and visit or walk by and you know and get pretty quick results on stuff back then you know you could use a rake and kind of scrape up the ground to get a nice clean slate if you will and then see how many deer tracks appeared around the around the center, you know, other things that you were testing and whatnot. And then of course, just being in the field while you're hunting was, was the most effective way to test and still is in some ways. So you can really see those reactions and, you know, and that's something even to this day, we do a huge amount of field testing. We do it on wild deer in the wild, you know, where the results really mean something, you know, if, if you got deer that are in a small environment or, or a situation like that, they don't always react the same. And, you know, we're hunting wild deer. So you want to see how those wild deer are going to react. I want to come back to deer reactions in a minute, because I have a, a, a question and a, and a comment on that. But let's go back to the very, very beginning. So this really was a, you know, a couple of guys messing around in the, in the garage kind of a thing. And that's how oh. Wildlife Research Center got started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just a small thing like that. I remember in the early days, you know, I'd be 
playing around in the garage. My dad be brewing up, mixing up different scents and let me smell them. And, you know, you know how deer scents notoriously smell, usually not pleasant. And, you know, I'd have a scrunched up look in my face, but um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. And, and my dad, my uncle, me, none of us had any idea we'd end up where we are today. I mean, we just figured if we had a business that, you know, we could live off of and, and have some success with, we would be really happy. And, you know, um, 2023 is actually going to be our 40th anniversary since we started the company. And, you know, decades later, um, you know, it's, it's, it's grown on our expectations, you know, we're still very humble. We work hard and, and it all comes down to, you know, we treat our customers the way we'd want to be treated, kind of that golden rule and, and try to do everything the right way and, um, and do business in better ways. And, you know, we've been very fortunate and we're very thankful, you know, for our customers, the hunters that use our products, our retail customers, and all of our friends and partners out there. I remember back as a younger hunter and uh, get, stepping into these types of products. And I remember distinctly Wildlife Research Center products on the shelves. And they're, they're on every, and by the way, they're on every shelf, right? You guys do a tremendous job in the number of, uh, you know, dis distributors or sorry, retailers that you work with, which is great. And so it's everywhere. And the name was always what stood out to me. So even though it was a couple guys doing experiments in the garage, there was some genius there. I mean, to come up with the name and you also own wildlife.com, which is pretty freaking awesome. So is, yeah. what's the insight on that? Well, I think it was just early thinking. And, um, you know, I mean, again, because doing the research and the field testing was such a big part of what we were doing, the name seemed <clears throat> rather fitting. I don't know if we really understood the, the long-term ramifications of that in the long run. Um, previous to Wildlife Research Center, my dad and uncle, they were in the, in the tree service. And back in those days when people looked for, uh, you know, for a service like that, they'd look in the, in the phone book and, um, yeah, we started at the letter A. So um, the companies with an A or multiple A's in the name would always be at the front of the list as far as getting phone calls and whatnot. So starting with a company with a W, that was uh, that was a little bit outside the box. And and uh, we still end up at at the end of the list sometimes when things are listed alphabetically. But thankfully, we have a strong enough name and you know a strong strong enough products and presence out there. We're able to overcome that. But um, you know, on wildlife.com, um, it was just kind of right as the internet was starting to get going and people were buying don domain names, we, we got on that right away. And um, yeah, in today's world, there's no chance you could get that now. So that's pretty special that we fell into that, you know, a little bit of luck and a little bit of foresight and it was good. Right now, the young people listening are saying, man, these guys were all around when the internet got started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, before we had computers, so we used to do everything, you know, when we got a, got the first word processor, you know, and yeah, a lot of the young folks out there probably don't even know what a word processor is, but you know, that was a huge innovation in a fax machine and you know, some of those things for getting the orders and, you know, now everything's on computers, you know, it's so much more efficient, but then, you know, it seems like we got so much more to do. You're still just as busy at, you know, that time just fills in with new things and that's any business, any walk of life. That's just kind of how the world is working these days, but it's interesting. Yep. So walk us through what's a day in the life for you look like whenever things are really busy and you're starting to fill orders. I mean, what's it like around there? Well, it's kind of interesting. Obviously, we're a seasonal business because we're in hunting and whatnot. So people picture that we're really busy in the fall and pretty slow other times of the year. But, you know, right now, this time of year is interesting because, you know, our our, our season, you know, goes for another month and a half here and then things slow down. Some of the southern states have extended seasons and whatnot. Um, but our busy shipping time, we're kind of, you know, really hitting it hard right now it kind of picks up in in uh june and july um sometimes there's a little bit of a lull late summer right at the beginning of the fall the retailers have gotten a bunch of product and um you know are kind of set but then as the sales are picking up throughout the hunting season and whatnot they got to replenish and bring more product in so 
things are really busy right now around here, you know, building the last of the product we need for the season, getting it out the door, um, trying to finish up this year. But then, uh, you know, with a lot of the retailers and whatnot, we're already meeting with people and making arrangements for next year and starting to put those plans in place. So it's, you know, it kind of one, some of those days when it gets really hectic, it kind of feels like the old cowboy movies where you got a horse tied to each arm and each leg and you don't know which way you're going, you know, but um, no, it's good. And it's, it's really busy. It's really hectic some days. And even throughout the, you know, the winter with trade shows and um, throughout the spring doing production, getting everything ready, there isn't really a slow time around here anymore, but um, one thing I'm really thankful for is we get to do a lot of different things. Um, you know, I went to school for chemistry and chemical engineering and, and I really like that, but I didn't want to do just that. I wanted to do a lot of different things. I really like business. I like hunting. So I get to put all the, all these things together and do a lot of the things I love and I'm interested in and get a lot of variety. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Some days you get pretty worn out and it's tough at the end of the day. And, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, I can't begin to say how thankful I am for the opportunities that I have with all this. People who have worked here for literally decades, we have some people who have siblings who work here, um, father, kid combinations. I mean, there's, there's a lot of loyalty with our team here and the employees here and the job they do are a huge part of what makes it all possible. I can't say thank you enough to all of them as well. And I'm still stuck on the fact that your father, and you said your grandfather or your uncle? My dad and uncle started the business. My grandfather helped a lot, you know, with a lot of the stuff at the beginning, kind of helping him get going and helping out with stuff. Yeah. So I'm still stuck on the fact that, and again, this goes back to woodsmanship, where you have two individuals that are trapping and they are so observant that there's something going on different at their set. That's not specifically what they're trying to target in regards to the seeing the presence of deer tracks and, and asking questions about that and trying to figure out why. And I think that, you know, that's something that's really lost in a lot of conversations today in the fact that woodsmanship is, is really what leads to innovation in regards to the hunting industry. You know, you know, they say that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, that's the same thing I think with woodsmanship is being observant with what's going on around you. And what that has led to, as you were saying to this, this really big presence in the hunting industry, just from someone saying, you know, there's a lot of deer tracks around this set. I wonder why. And versus just saying, oh, well, and letting it go rather than, you know, trying to figure it out or taking that harder road and saying, well, let's just figure out why. And is there something that we can exploit from this? And, and here you are. I mean, that that's what I really am taken back by. Yeah. And, you know, you know that one of, one of my kind of favorite statements or, or quotes is, it was an Albert Einstein quote, actually, is every problem is an opportunity in disguise. And, you know, I don't always love that because nobody likes a bunch of problems, but it, it kind of correlates with what you were just saying. You know, every, every time there's something that isn't quite working right or something that's unexpected, or if you have a problem, if you can find a solution, a lot of the times, you know, a lot can come from that. So it's really kind of a cool deal. Yeah. It's, I just think it's an interesting story. You were talking about the, the people and, and how they mean so much to your company and things like that. That all stemmed from, deer walking up to a set and your father and uncle trying to figure out why are they doing this and can it can it be something that we can exploit and use yeah it's just amazing another cool story from way back when one of the products that we have that that really kind of got us mainline and and um got attention of a lot of the big retailers out there and whatnot was our was our scrape drippers and um what, what the fascinating thing about those are is they is they drip daytime only you know a lot of times bucks will get nocturnal and they're not coming during daytime hunting hours and because the dripper drips daytime only um that, that'll help condition them and get you more opportunities during daytime hunting hours and you know the the story where that idea came up is pretty fascinating so i had mentioned that, that my dad and uncle used to be in the tree service and uh you know they didn't make a whole lot of money back in the day they had to work really hard all winter long sometimes in the winter time you'd have sub-zero temperatures they'd be out there all day and my dad get home he'd be just 
cold to the bone, just frozen. And uh, he lived in a in an old farmhouse that was over a hundred years old. And the the bathroom, it would be pretty cold, even with the heat running. It didn't get very warm in there. And sometimes he'd just run a hot bath just to soak in and just warm his bones and his body up. And doing that there was this bottle of shampoo with a pumper on it that was sitting in there <laughs> you'd go in there and as, as the bathroom would heat up from that hot water all of a sudden that that shampoo bottle it would push a little bit of soap out of the a little bit of shampoo out of the the top of the pump you know and i don't know how many days or months or how, how long he watched that happen but you know his wheels were just kind of turning watching that happen wondering why it was doing it what what was making it do it is there was an air pocket inside of there and as it heated up that air pocket would expand and then it would push that shampoo out and then he got thinking about about scent, some of the scent dispensers that were available on the market at the time and and that's essentially how the the scrape drippers work our magnum scrape dripper and our supercharged scrape drippers they have an air pocket inside and there's a specially calibrated device that attaches to the orifice of the bottle and as it warms up during the day that air pocket expands a little bit and pushes a little scent out to drip and then at night when it cools down it contracts and it pulls a little air back in and it just repeats that cycle and um you know we've had we've had patents on those devices and whatnot and um yeah it was just another one of those situations where just being observant looking and looking for solutions to problems has, has really paid off I love those stories because I'm not that observant. I feel like, you know, my house could be on fire and it would take me half the day to figure it out. And so just, I can, you know, having a chance to have met your dad and known him briefly, I can just envision him sitting there looking at that bottle thinking, I wonder how I can turn that into something like just observing that that's pretty awesome. And while we're on innovation, wildlife research center really has brought things to the market. You were the first to bring some pretty cool things to the market. You want to talk about some of those things? You already mentioned the scent dripper or scent wicks come to mind. You already mentioned the Trails N307, which was a, a pretty innovative product. Yeah, one of our, so starting with the, on the scent side, um, Special Gold Nestrus was another huge innovation for us. And that's kind of a fun story because it started off um, each year for some of our special friends and um, some of our special customers and stuff. Um, we would collect samples. You'd get, we'd get samples of extra fresh, super premium doe and asterisk urine and uh, send it out to them as a special favor, you know, kind of for the industry insiders. And, you know, we did that for a number of years. And um, I think it was one of our sales reps suggested that, you know, maybe we should come out with a product like that, you know, that's, you know, that's fresh and extra premium. And that's, that's really what kind of kicked that off. And we have our special golden asterisk that's dated for use each year fresh and extra premium. Um, we get, we get it out there, whatever's left over at the retailers at the end of the year, we return it, bring it back. And, uh, you know, so it's the only product like that on the market. So that's kind of a cool one. Um, in scent elimination, you know, that was another story. So way back in the day, there was, um, there was some scent elimination spray that came out in the market and it was kind of an interesting product. Um, people were kind of getting interested in it and we were looking at that and, and uh, we, we came out with one early on and it worked pretty good, but then we had kind of a big innovation because what we did is the, the ones that were on the market at the time kind of had a smell to them. And obviously you want to be as order free as possible out in the woods. So we were actually the first ones to, to introduce a scent elimination spray that didn't have a smell that was, that was truly odorless. Um, and then over the years, you know, we continue to innovate and improve on that. Um, we came in with our supercharged scent killer formula that was uh, found to be over 99% stopping replicated human odor and testing at Rutgers University. And then we've, we've had additional, we have our scent killer gold spray, which is even more premium and, and stronger and more powerful. And then we've added our hunt dry technology now to both of those formulas. So the, the supercharged scent killer now has been tested and found to be 99% effective 10 days after drying and testing at Rutgers University and the scent killer gold with hunt dry technology plus 20 days after drying. So you can spray down and one of the best ways to use scent elimination spray is to pre-treat your clothes, um, especially if it's cold out or just in general, it's not always fun being out there with wet clothes. So if you 
if you properly prepare your clothes, um, spray them down, let them fully dry and put them in an airtight container, then you can bring them out. It, it, it effectively turns your clothes into a high power scent elimination suit um, that you can retreat, reapply, and uh, really gives you a big advantage out in the field, makes it easy to use. I have to say, I have to give you a shout out on your body wash. Uh, matter of fact, just this morning, at this time of year, that's all I use is your body wash. And uh, man, the the amount of suds and lather and all that 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 stuff makes. And, and the other thing is, I'm not going to ask you for your secrets, but it also, and I'm, I'm also trying not to make this sound like an advertisement. This is just fact. It makes your skin even feel soft. It's better than what I buy, the smelly stuff that I buy from wherever. So it, it's awesome. And that's what we try to do. I mean, that particular one, it is an expensive formula. And because of that, it's not the, not the cheapest product out there. There's products that are less expensive, but it's really important to us to have good quality products. You know, we, we, we try to price them as good as we can so that people can get, you know, a good value for what they're buying, but quality is really important. And as, as a hunter, you only have so much time in the field each year. So you want to make the most of that and do everything you can. And, you know, scent elimination, you know, it all depends on your time and your situation, what you got going on. Um, you know, there's some people out there who will do every step meticulously, almost religiously, every time, every year, you know, the, the personal care, everything from washing with the, with the body wash, the antiperspirant, um, treating their clothes properly, uh, spraying down giving a final spray right as you're going into the field and just being really careful about that um, there's other people that will spray down with a little bit of scent killer before they go out and while that'll do a lot um, it, it obviously isn't as effective as taking all the steps and people ask well how much do I really have to do and you know my suggestion is, is to, to do the best you can with, with the time and the situation that you have um, sometimes you end up in an unexpected situation and you just have to make do and do the best you can um, you can never be a hundred percent order free um, but the more steps you take you know the more the more likely of success you'll you'll have um, you know and people sometimes bring up the comments about you know the 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 dogs that can track people and, Hey, I put some sand killer on and the dog was still able to follow my trail and whatnot. Again, you're never going to be able to get rid of 100% of odor unless you have some extreme laboratory condition in a bubble or something like that. And how I like to kind of frame it up for people is it's, there's two analogies here. One is it's kind of like a fire alarm. A deer's nose is kind of like a fire alarm. And if the level of smoke is below a certain level, it's not going to set that fire alarm off. Um, you know, if you're in your house cooking some food and a little wisp of smoke goes up there, it, it won't set it off. But if all of a sudden the trash can starts on fire and you got some smoke billing off, it's going to set off that fire alarm. That's just like a deer. When they hit that certain level, they're going to be on full alert and they're, they're bolting, they're running and getting out of there. Um, another analogy is kind of like a skunk. If you're walking around the woods and you smell the faint smell of a skunk off in the distance, you know, it's there, you know, it's somewhere out there, but you're not going to be highly concerned about it. But if all of a sudden you smell a real strong smell of a skunk, you're going to be on full alert because it might be there somewhere and you don't want to get sprayed. And, you know, deer a lot the same way. And depending on the conditions in the area and more urban areas are going to be more used to people being around. Um, on a farm, they might be more used to people coming by on machinery or different things like that. If you've got a quiet little patch of woods that you hunt that nobody ever walks in except for during hunting season, you got to be really careful then because they're not used to smelling people walking through there. And even if you're out just scouting or, or checking things out, you want to try to do your best not to be leaving odor behind because as, as that kind of builds up in the environment, the, the deer, especially the, the smart ones that we're often trying to pursue, uh, those big bucks will avoid that area or change their patterns. So, all right. So I'm going to back up just for a second because I have a technical question, and mm -hmm. and if you might not be able to answer it, but it, as you were talking about your scent killer gold and the hunt dry technology, have yep. you looked at how your product interacts with potentially other products? Because more and more people are going and and because of ticks and tick borne diseases are uh, applying. Um, a spray and dry, like a permethrin mm -hmm. type of um, 
tick repellent on there. Have you studied how they interact in regards to like, it's probably not your job to determine the effectiveness of the, of the repellent, the bug repellent. But um, like, cause as you're going through there, I'm thinking, well, I wonder if I turn my clothes inside out, sprayed the scent killer gold and let it dry on the inside of my clothes to act as kind of like a scent um, decreasing product and then sprayed the tick spray on the outside to give them both a chance to be as effective as possible. Um, have you looked at any of that or what's your thoughts on that in general? We, we actually get that question fairly often specifically with the permethrin. Um, we really don't see any issues using those products in conjunction. I wouldn't put them both on wet at the same time. I wouldn't treat, um, with both products at the same time, I would do the, the, the permethrin first, let it get in your clothes. And my understanding is depending on the product and the, the clothing material and stuff that can hold up to several washes. And then once that's fully dried, set in, then I would pre-treat your clothes with the, with the scent elimination spray down. And I think you're just fine there. Sounds good. That's, so we've never seen any issues or had any problems with that. That's good to know. I think that's useful information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually sitting here thinking about that when you asked the question, Mike. Um, by the way, I must have smelled like that burning trash can the other day because I had a mature buck <laughs> spook. And it was because I was, well, I know I was a little bit lazy uh, in, in my preparation. And plus the wind wasn't perfect. So sometimes you learn lessons the hard way. It had nothing to do with, <laughs> with your product, Sam. It's how you use them. So um, that's I want to yeah, go ahead, Sam. I was going to say that's a tough one because, I mean, once in a while, you know, we'll have somebody call up and they'll say, well, I was sitting in my deer stand I was smoking a cigarette and, you know, that, <laughs> that buck came up. And, and you know what? Sometimes you get opportunities like that. Deer are naturally curious and sometimes they smell a certain smell or a certain thing. They, they might check it out, especially if they're not under a lot of pressure. But what you never really know for sure is how many opportunities you missed or didn't even know you could have had. You know, now with trail cameras, sometimes you'll see them that, I had one last year that was, you know, just a few hundred yards away. It was one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen on that property. And I was sitting out there with my kid that time. It was second weekend of gun season and, um, you know, he's just getting started. So we weren't being the quietest or the most careful at that point in time, but I just wanted to get him out there. And, um, you know, we didn't see that buck is because we made a little bit of noise. It was because we didn't do a good enough job of scent elimination or, or did buck just decide not to go that way that day? You don't know for sure. But, um, again, you get that limited amount of time out there. So you just want to do everything you can to maximize those opportunities. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot you can control out there, but you should be controlling the things that you can control. And Absolutely. so, yeah, yeah. Those who go the extra mile will, will get the rewards from that. Uh, you brought up a cigarette and that's not where I was. I wasn't thinking about cigarettes, <laughs> but I was thinking about masking scents because yep. yeah, for me, I like to do the scent control, but I also like to use a masking scent. So what, what is, you also sell masking scents. What is yep. your favorite and what do you think the importance of masking scents is in conjunction with your scent eliminators? Again, it's, it's another step you can take and a lot of masking scents will probably are, over the years, our most popular masking scent is like Earth or with our scent elimination sprays, the Sencular sprays, we have our Autumn Formula, which essentially puts together a masking scent together with the scent elimination. So it does both. Um, the Autumn Formula kind of has that smell of dirt and decaying leaves. Um, that's been by far the most popular over the years because um, it, it's pretty universal. You got dirt and leaves just about anywhere you hunt something like acorn or pine, depending on what the woods or the situation are um, in the right situation, they can be very effective. Um, the other thing that's interesting is, is earth and some of the other masking scents as well, not only help cover your scent, but they have a bit of an attraction or a calming quality as well. Um, it's not going to be as attractive as, you know, putting out, you know, bait or, or, you know, another type of attractor scent or something like that, but just that little bit of calmness or attractiveness, they will come check it out. Um, also, fox urine and raccoon urine are very popular attractor scents, and they're going to have a stronger um, 
a stronger smell to them, a little less pleasant, um, but they do work very well in the field and they're very popular products that we have. Yeah, that's my combination. I've been using uh, pine combined with the Red Fox urine. Matter of fact, I literally just this morning ordered another bottle of Red Fox urine from you. Thank you. And uh, because that's what I have where I hunt. The, the two places I hunt primarily have lots of pines and they've got lots of Red Fox. And so yep. that just seems to make sense to me. And I like to add that in conjunction with my with my scent elimination. So what's your combination there, doctor? What's your What's your plan when you're hitting the woods? I am just strictly scent. I hate using the word elimination. Scent minimization is pretty much the way I, I try and live. So um, all of the things in my house, like where I keep my bow, my boots, everything is actually, except for the bows and bins, but it's away from the kitchen. It's away from, you know, the dogs, that kind of thing. Um, because very similar to what Sam was saying, the, the whole smoke alarm analogy is a great way to think about it. Um, having that deer think that I'm 200, 300 yards away versus being 20, 30 yards away, gets you the shot at the end of the day. And that's kind of the way I look at it. So I try and do the best I can to minimize, um, my scent. I try not to put them on, um, you know, in the house, things like that. So, I mean, I, I'm pretty strict with, with my regimen every single time to try and minimize that because I figure you only get so many chances in a season and I don't, and as you were saying, Sam, how many do you don't even know that you had a, an opportunity, like one that was like a hundred yards away, walking in, caught your scent and just turned and you never knew it was there. So I try and that's the way I think about it. And that's the, the way I try and um, approach every single hunt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's scent in the deer woods is fascinating to me because just as a hunter with lots of years of experience and lots of observations, I mean, I can even just give you just the observations from my last two or three hunts that I had this year. The other day, I mentioned the mature buck that was 80 yards away that whatever the wind shifted and all of a sudden he got goofy and left. And then last evening, I had deer all around me and under me and the wind at certain times, these deer were directly downwind to me and they didn't seem to notice anything or care. And so I always ask myself, what's the difference? Why does it matter? Sometimes and sometimes not. Now, I will say the mature buck that, that left the field was the only deer that left the field and the deer that were a couple years younger stayed in the field. So there's something to be said for age and experience. Uh, so I think that's part of it. But I also think there's just some weird things that happen out there, whether it's a deer's mood or however, how the wind is exactly moving and how you think it's moving. You're nodding your head, Sam. There's just an awful lot that goes into the equation, isn't there? There is, there is. And there's all kinds of different pressures and perceptions that the animals have. I know one of the places where we like to hunt in Minnesota here, you know, we have quite a few wolves around and um, they're a natural predator for deer. And I've seen times of the year where I'll have trail cameras out on a, on a trail and it'll almost, when there's a lot of wolves around, it'll almost be like a cycle where you, you'll start seeing a lot of deer on the camera. And then all of a sudden one night or one afternoon, you'll see the wolves coming through just cruising those trails. And then you won't see a deer on camera again for, for a week or so. And then after about a week, you'll see them start kind of relaxing, coming by again. And I've actually had a couple of years, I've seen it on like an 11, 12 day cycle where every 11th or 12th day of the wolves come through, it totally shuts down. And then all of a sudden it kind of comes back up again. And that can happen, you know, with hunters too. If you go out to your stand and disturb things, the more times you hunt to stand, the more times you're depositing odor around and and kind of building up that um, that scent out there and whatnot. So it's, it's good to kind of rotate around if you can, give spots a break. And even when you're just scouting or doing things like that, just be as careful as you can with what you're doing out there and um, trying, to, trying to keep that spot smoking hot. Yeah, to your point about keeping it fresh, <laughs> uh, we just put out a video, Lindsay Thomas just put out a video talking about how long it takes for deer, or how deer respond to pressure in hunting spots. And I think a big part of that is scent and scent soot. Uh, I used to do, I, I'm curious about your opinion on this, Sam, actually. I, I was going to close out the show, but then I just thought of something I wanted to ask you. <laughs> um, I no longer, I mean, there may be a scenario where I would, but I really don't do the daylight till dark hunting anymore. And the reason for that is, well, number one, I'm old. I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. 
but my justification for that maybe is what I should say is that I feel like that throughout that day, you are continually building up a scent reserve there, no matter how well you've controlled yourself. And by the end of the day, I just think you've created not a great environment once you've sat in one spot the entire day. I'm not talking about you sit in one spot, get down, maybe walk to a different spot. I'm talking about sitting in one spot all day. Is that just something I'm saying to make me feel better so that I'm not sitting out all day? Or do you think there's some truth to that? I think that's something that hunters struggle with all the time, trying to figure out what the best approach is there. And I find myself bouncing around both ends of the spectrum on that. Um, you know, there's, there's years where I'll sit in the same stand, you know, time after time and just keep seeing action. There's time I'll sit there one time, maybe I spooked a deer and didn't know it or something happened and all of a sudden it kind of shuts down and then, yeah, I need to move to another spot or, um, you know, I've, I've had deer walk by 30 minutes after sunrise and I've had times where I just wanted to, you know, it's kind of like when you're fishing one more, you always want to do one more cast, you know, and <laughs> see if we get that big one. And it's the same thing with hunting, you know, you're looking and say, oh, well, maybe, maybe five more minutes, that big buck might come by. And most of the time it doesn't, but every, every once in a while you get that special moment where something does. And, um, it kind of depends on the year, the weather, there, there's just so many factors that come into play. It's, it's really hard to, really hard to pin that down. And I don't know. I, I find my opinion on that changing just about every time I hunt, I think, as far as, you know, what the, what the right amount of time or the right amount of exposure is there. You know, again, if you just do the best you can and, and be adaptive, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think that's tremendous advice. And I'll just say this, um, you know, back at the beginning of this, almost 40 years ago, your dad and your uncle spent $10,000 in advertising. It didn't go well. And they could have just said, you know what, we're done with this. We're not doing it anymore. But they didn't right. do that. Uh, that's a real story of perseverance. They didn't give up. And we're glad that they didn't. And I'm sure you're glad that they didn't, because this is your livelihood now. And so that's pretty awesome. The entire story of Wildlife Research Center is awesome. And we thank you so much for your time here talking with us about that today. And by the way, folks, you can uh, go check out the full list of products. Now, I went, I went there just this morning because I wasn't sure of everything that Wildlife Research Center has, but I went and checked it out and it was, I was impressed. So wildlife.com and you'll see all the different things you can get from WRC. And uh, I know that's where I shop. So thank you so much, Sam. Appreciate you being on and, uh, Hey, I'll see you at the next executive committee meeting next week. <laughs> that sounds real good. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Mike. Good to see you guys and good luck hunting. Thank you. Same to you. Mike, we always put so much time and thought and effort into our deer hunting, scouting, finding just the right spot, getting the right ambush point, all of these different things. But at the end of the day, if you have, if you have bad wind, the wind is not in your favor. You really don't have anything, right? So if you don't have scent control, you don't have the wind right, you're dead in the water. It doesn't matter how good your location is. You're right. And we also know that people misunderstand that a lot because a lot of times getting busted by a deer doesn't have to be within your eyesight or even within your earshot. It could be several hundred yards away where they get enough scent in their nose to tell them I'm not walking that way. And you would never know that you're doing more harm than good. Yeah. You bring up another point there and that's even thinking about scent control as you're entering and exiting your hunting locations is also important. Um, you know, one of the things I appreciated about Sam there is he didn't come on the show as a guy running a big time scent and scent elimination company and say, Oh, if you just put our stuff on, it's bulletproof. He talked about all the things that you have to do and that, that his products are just part of that deal. And he's right about that. And so that's the bottom line. We've talked about this before on the show. When people say, what's the number one thing I need to do to get close to a deer, especially a, an older deer, you got to have your scent control right. Wind direction, your clothing, your body, all that has to be taken care of. It's not bulletproof. But we'll take, you know, we're deer hunters, right? We'll take any extra 1%, 2%, whatever it is to help our odds. So, um, I thought it was good. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's just, 
it's good to be able to get, and that's the one thing I've always appreciated, appreciated about our conversations is we bring practical information. We're not trying to get more likes, get more listens, et cetera, and so on in that sense where it's shock factor, it's shock value. It's just, I think we're very systematic. We've made enough mistakes in life, thus the B-team report, that we're trying to give actual information that if you use it correctly and do all the other things that you need to do as a hunter or sports person, you're, you're going to see more success. And so I think that's where I really enjoy being a part of this conversation and a part of this podcast. Well, speaking of shock factor, it's that time, Mike. We're not going to make them wait any longer. It's the B-Team Report. Well, here we are, Mike. It's another season. It's another opportunity to see you're already laughing and I haven't even gotten to the story yet because you always hear the story and I hear the stories before the listeners hear the stories but well, the... I purposely took took screenshots of the text message stream and I just reviewed it before we got on here so I'm still giggling about that so well who's going first you or me because we both have stories this time I tell you what let me go first and I'll go ridiculously fast because I don't have a, an epic one and we'll get into yours because yours is is the king of all b-team reports as thus far for the podcast all right you go first then floor is okay, yours so, so real quick i'm going out i'm setting a few last minute cameras as new sign pops up there's been a a scrape that i've historically been watching up here and i go in taking my camera clear a little bit of brush at ground level the limb has been pummeled so hard that it's a little bit high and i thought if i can just get that limb to crack just a little bit to get it at you know correct height which is about chest high on me i'd be happy so i hold i'm holding the camera in my hand i reach up i start to pull that limb down a little bit unfortunately it's a tamarack tree or large tree and they're ridiculously dry and brittle if i don't snap that scrape limb right off the tree at back at the tree so i don't even have anything to actually attach it to and like actually find another piece and, and reestablish that scrape so i and here's what, what what happened. I don't know if I was just so mad at myself that I momentarily blacked out for a little bit, but I put my camera down in my mind somewhere. And so I'm walking around trying to figure out how I can salvage the scrape. And it's getting darker by the second. And this is right at last light. And I'm just, just totally beside myself. I just finally said, skip it. I saw another limb, you know, in another tree about 20 yards away. I said, I'm going to make that the scrape. So I go down there, I make the scrape. I get all my scent on the scrape that I want to, um, you know, move them that direction. I even take a little bit of dirt from where the scrape was and take it down and sprinkle it on where I'm putting my new scrape up. I go to back to the tree to grab my camera, which I thought I set it right in the ground in front of the tree and I can't find it. And it's getting darker and I'm looking around, looking around, I'm pulling out my cell phone, trying to shine the light. So I'm using the light on my phone to try and find the camera in the weeds at the base of the tree. And, and it's getting darker by the second. I can't find the camera. Finally, I just pack up everything. I said, I'll come back and find the camera tomorrow. I know they can be outside. It's not supposed to rain. Everything's going to be fine. I come I come back home. The next day, I go back out in broad daylight, expecting to see the camera laying there. I still can't find that stupid camera. I set my bag down to actually grab my saw out because I was going to, um, because I brought an extra camera just in case. Um, I'm just going to get everything set up. And I open up my bag and there's my camera, but I put it in a different pouch where I usually keep my saw. And I don't know why I blacked out and put it in there, but I just did. And ta-da, there's my B-team story. Well, we've all been there where we lose something like, you know, I've lost my hat on top of my head before. You lose your phone, right? But here it's in your pocket the whole time. In this case, you had that trail camera the entire time, but you even went back to look for it again uh, just you know, sometimes you put something in an odd pocket that that you normally wouldn't, and there you have it. It's just shocking. I, I very few times in my life I've heard about people blacking out temporarily, and I don't know if I was just so upset at myself for ruining that scrape setup that I just mentally blacked out and just went on autopilot and just because I knew in my mind it was like, okay, well, can I cut another limb? And so I probably opened up my my 
pocket that has my saw in it and just drop that camera in there, grab my saw and start walking around trying to get work done. When I put the saw back and I probably never, it never bumped that trail camera to let me even know that it was in there, but it was so dark. I didn't, I didn't see it. So I didn't hear it click plastic. And off I went thinking that it was laying on the ground somewhere. Yeah. And I forgot about the scrape part because <laughs> that might be the funniest part because, you know, there are guys that go around and they put up fake limbs just to encourage a straight scrape. And the doctor goes around and cuts off licking branches away from scrapes, totally killing any chance that any deer is going to visit that scrape again. So that's a good job. That's an interesting tactic you got there. There you go. So B team in it. <laughs> I've done that same thing. I was trying to trim for a camera one time over a scrape and actually clipped off the licking branch and killed the scrape. So there you have it. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good or bad, depending on how you look at it. Um, all right. So now I got to go. By the way, you need to step up your game here. I don't want to be the guy that's always doing the really awful stuff. So you got to step up your game. Well, I mean, I, I'm trying to keep it outdoorsy related. I mean, I didn't, I didn't tell you that I dislocated my my dominant thumb. Well, I did tell you, but I dislocated my right thumb putting up that T111 on the side of the barn. So, um, you know, that but that's just that's just dumb. That's just yeah. I don't know if that would entertain anybody unless I put a picture up on Instagram with it pointing, you know, with me actually looking at my thumb instead of like a hitchhiker position, it's pointing back toward my shoulder. So, well. I mean, and I know that hurts like heck because I've done it, but I think what happens is every one of these B team stories we tell, there's somebody listening, nodding their head up and down saying, yep, yep. Done that one, done this one, done that one. So that's good. That's good. Thanks for dislocating your thumb for the perp for, for the benefit of the show. We appreciate that. All right. Anytime. Here we go. All right. So, <sighs> As I said, once we start hunting, there's going to be all kinds of B-team opportunities, and here's mine. So I decide for the first time, I got a target buck that I'm going to hunt. He's been pretty consistent um, in this in this one food plot of mine, and sometimes showing up like even before five in the afternoon. So he's pretty comfortable in there. And so what I don't want to do is mess that up and go in there and, and make him nocturnal. So I just, I, I'm starting to lose patience though, because it's been almost a week into the season, and that when the hurricane came up through Hurricane Ian, it shifted all of our winds from like the northeast, which, you know, I, I don't have a single spot really that's decent for a northeast wind. But whatever, uh, I just basically lost my patience and said, you know what, I have a reasonable wind tonight, that night, uh, that, that won't be perfect. And what will happen is when it cools down, the thermals are going to take my scent right down over the hill behind me. So I'm going to go ahead and climb up in my tower blind and hunt from there. Now, originally this was kind of designed for if, uh, if I ever gun hunt there, take somebody gun hunting or for my son to sit comfortably and observe deer sometime when he gets a little older, but really wasn't I'd, the ideal spot for archery. It was just a spot that, that was good for the other uh, things I mentioned. And so the problem though, is, is this buck, this mature buck is I've got pictures of him walking right by it. And so I'm thinking, you know what, it's there, he's comfortable with it. Why not just get in there? So I do, I go in and I, I get all set up and it's just awkward, right? I'm not used to hunting from these box blinds at all. I'm trying to figure out what the, where do I set my bow? And I'm trying to film all this and having my camera and what windows should I open? Which one, which one shouldn't I open? And while I'm trying to figure all this out, I look over and here comes a, a two-year-old buck and right behind him is the buck I'm after. And it, man, it was like 4.30, I think. I barely even got set up in there. And so now I'm scrambling, trying to get good film of him because he's, he's still a good ways away. When he enters the field, I'm going to say he's 75, 80 yards away. And I'm watching them come out and they're feeding in the, in the food plot and out of range and kind of in behind a pine tree. I can't see him. But I'm feeling pretty good about this because every picture I have of him, he eventually works his way somewhere in the neighborhood of that blind. So I'm like, you know what? He's out there early. I'm going to be patient. And eventually he's going to come within shooting range. Well, he gets up to the corner and I'm, I'm filming him and getting some good footage and just enjoying seeing this deer, which by the, by the way, I've known this deer for two years now. It's the first time I actually saw him in person. So that was kind of neat. And all of a sudden he starts sniffing the air. And what had happened was we didn't get nearly the, the breeze that they were calling for. And so the air was just hanging there. And because he came in so early, there were no thermals working yet. And so eventually my scent stream kind of drifted out to the area he was at. Long story short, he wins me. 
and just sort of jumps off and leaves the area. So I'm already irritated at that. I did exactly what I didn't want to do because I wasn't patient. So that was B team number one, but it gets worse. Yes, it actually gets worse. So at this point, I'm like, well, it's early yet. I'm just going to sit here. I got a couple other nice bucks that I would like to get a shot at if I could. So I'm going to wait them out. Maybe they'll show up. And so does come out in the field, some other small bucks. I'm getting a good sign or getting a good uh, view of what's going on. And then here, right to my left, a doe and a fawn come up over the hill. And she comes up and walks right in front of me. And I must have moved and she caught my movement. And she's right in front of me. And then all of a sudden, she starts blowing and snorting and runs down over the hill. And at this point, now I've got upset deer everywhere. All the deer clear the field. I've already messed up my target buck. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get out of here. I'm, I'm calling it a day because all I've done is mess things up. But then I looked at my watch and it's still not even six o'clock yet. I'm like, you know what? You have, this is a hot spot. There are a lot of deer using this. You've got a good hour of hunting left. Just sit here and suck it up. And if nothing else, you'll see what's going on. Well, pretty soon this doe pops out and she starts feeding on this autumn olive bush ahead of me. And it, it's starting to get obvious that she's going to come down in front of me. And I thought, you know, as much of a mess as I've already made of this, I'm shooting this doe. She comes by. And sure enough, she walks. And by the way, I have a trail camera that faces this box blind. This is also on my trail camera. So I'm filming it. It's on my trail camera. She walks right out in front of me and it's like seven yards. I mean, it's that close. And I get drawn on her and she gets broadside and I'm lined up on her. I'm like, oh, this is, this is a chip shot. This is so easy. I release the arrow and all I hear is this loud twang, like just like silent shattering noise, metal on metal. I have no idea where the arrow goes. Everybody's shocked. <laughs> deer runs off. Other deer run. All I see are white tails. No idea where my arrow is. And as I sit down and I'm kind of looking at the situation, what I realize is when I was shooting that deer, I failed to account for the difference in height between my sight and where the arrow releases. And I clipped the top railing of my box blind. So, <laughs> Number one, because as I'm trying to recompose myself here, number one, I'm glad I didn't injure myself because that's kind of a dangerous situation, right? That arrow could have went anywhere. So that's up. But number two, Mike, I went back. All I think I maybe see the arrow going to the left, but I I never saw the arrow. It's got a it's got a nocturnal on it, so I should be able to see it. It's gone. Who knows where it went to? But uh, yeah, I put a nice new hole, sliced a nice hole in my brand new tower blind, and uh, did nothing but yeah. Did nothing but uh, start my season off with a bang, if you will. And it's all on video, and I'm going to need to post it on my social media for people to make fun of me and follow up and see it there. Your thoughts? What added to it was the the well. What added to it was the text message streams. The it was. I mean, I felt bad for you. I I, I did, but at at a certain point, it gets to it gets to almost be like movie comedic what else could go wrong type of scenario and it just continued to build and at one point i just i just started to have you know had to laugh I'm like this can't be possible how how is this actually possible but it happens yeah and i think what what i texted you at one point is because I, I, I didn't leave i still stayed and hunted till dark yeah yeah and, we talked about that yeah yeah and i said you know what i said i was gonna leave but i figured i'm just gonna sit here and see what i can do next <laughs> <laughs> And and you were able to do something next. Oh my gosh, that that is is okay. Here's here's this is my applause. That is the 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 B team epic story of the history of this podcast. So far, yeah. I've, so far, I've, I've set so a high far. bar. I've you set have a high bar, but I'm actually nervous if I can even clear that. Yeah. Well, one of us will. There's no doubt about that. I mean, turkey season, right? That's, that's a good true. time. I mean, that's when most of my stupid things happen. But <laughs> yeah, a couple other things on the B team report. I can't give them all up, but I just was in Delaware hunting for a few days. And two different times, Mike, I had to climb back down my tree. The first time I, I go to this nice little setup and I get go to set up in the tree and I go to pull my bow up and my bow string pops off. Not my bow string, but my haul line <sighs> pops off. 
How many times have you done that? You got to climb back down the tree and reconnect and pull your bow up. So that was that one. And then yesterday morning, it's dark. I'm getting set up. And as I'm getting my camera gear and everything going, I hear something hit the the ground. I'm like, man, there's not a thing in my bag that's not important. And something hit the ground. And I'm not sure what it is yet. So just as we're getting set up, you know, I'm getting set up. I I hang my bow up on the hook. So I got my bow up in the tree this time, which was great. I go to clip on, I have a thumb release. I go to clip my release on, no release. So, (laughs) yeah. And now it's dark and this release is camo colored, which is stupid, by the way. These releases ought to be like blaze (laughs) blaze orange or pink or whatever. They should not be camouflaged because idiots like me. Red, red would be good. Deer can't see red anyway. Red looks like brown to deer. So that's what it should be. But no, it's camouflage. And I'm down there with my flashlight. Getting, it's coming daylight, and I'm on the ground looking for my release, which I do eventually find. And so this is also why you should always teach yourself to shoot your bow with fingers if the emergency ever happens, which I do that, and I can shoot pretty good with fingers if this were to ever happen, but obviously you want to have your release. But anyway, it's been quite a week, and uh, I did manage, though, Mike, if we're, we're doing deer stories now, I did manage to fill a tag, as you know, so I had a little bit of tough luck. Initially, I think those northeast winds was the biggest part of it. Uh, opening morning, I had some other schedule conflicts. I did have does underneath me, but I passed them because it was getting close to the time I needed to climb down. Uh, seeing lots of deer, a lot of young bucks. But it wasn't until, uh, let's see, I guess it would have been, what day was that? Was it Saturday? Uh, yeah, Saturday. Saturday evening. Yeah, it was Saturday. Yep. I was able to take a nice doe, made a good shot on her. She didn't go far and was able to at least fill my my first uh, doe tag for the year before, like I said, I also revealed that I went to Delaware and uh, did not do well there. It was only a two and a half day trip. I don't live too far from there, so it wasn't that big of a deal, but uh, I did not get a shot at a doe. I did have a decent buck in on me yesterday, but he, as they often do, he veered off another direction. And our buddy, Ron, Ron Haas, friend of the show, had an encounter and he's not here to defend himself. I'll just say it was an encounter with a big buck and I'll leave it at that. And we'll we'll get him on the show here soon and ask him if he wants to tell the story. But let's just say he had a very close encounter with a nice non-typical out there and it, it, it didn't end up happening. So uh, that's what's been going on in, in my hunting. Uh, Mike, how about you? Um, mine's pretty short. It's kind of the cliff notes. Uh, I've only gotten out for two evening hunts and I've been trying to target doe to put one in the freezer. And the as you said, that wind from Ian has given me fits because the deer are using different trails. They're moving through cover a little bit differently with those odd winds uh, that occurred that week. So um, I set up expecting to have this doe come across the trail that I've been trying to target. She's a really unique one. That's how, you know, like, well, everyone says a doe is a doe, but she has actually a white strip down her nose, almost like a horse. So uh, she's really easy to identify, but she's not one of my resident deer. She comes from across the road. So I kind of target her. Um, And she just came in from behind me. I expected, you know, I, I set up with two trails in front of me. I'm like, she's going to walk on either one of these two. I can shoot both. And she winds up coming through like the thicker brush behind me because she felt more comfortable with the wind direction that way. And I never expected that. Never winded me, which was good. She got behind me and I thought she was sniffing a couple times with a high nose, but she just flagged her tail and kept right on going the way she was going right around me. No, no worries. And then I went out last night and um, it was just a, I would think it was more entertaining than anything. Uh, I had six does and fawns come through at one point in time. And then for some reason, when they got past me, all of a sudden it was like someone rang the recess bell. They started running around and chasing each other and kicking at each other and bucking. And and I started thinking, well, maybe that might draw in a, a, a buck or something like that, just from the, the amount of noise that they were making. But this went up for 20 minutes. And every time I'd get one in range standing still just for a split second, it's almost like trying to like a dog that you it has something in its mouth that you want to take. And it lets you get really close and it just bolts unexpectedly. That's what it was like to the point where I didn't feel comfortable taking any shots. So I just watched the show and um, that was it for me real quick. Well, you had action though. And you're, you know, th- these are kind of the yard deer, right? You're aware of these deer, you see them out there and people just assume those are the easy ones to get, but actually they end up being way smarter. Sometimes these deer, even like this buck I'm after, he's very visible in terms of cameras and 
he's active at daylight hours, but a lot of times they're way smarter than you realize and they're harder to get close to you. But uh, well, maybe you'll be able to tell the story of filling that tag the next time we're on the show here. So well, I'm just saying, yeah, it's, it's just different because, you know, when I see them, um, you know, like I'm out mowing or something like that. And, you know, like a hundred yards down the road, I see them crossing there and I'm like, okay, well I got to go there and get a camera on that trail. And it's, it's easier. I thought it'd be easier to pattern deer up here, being up here more. And what you realize is, is the subtle changes that they can pick from day to day because of just these sh subtle shifts in the wind or, you know, um, what they might've ran into that day, you know, neighbor's dog might've ran through their bedding area and all of a sudden they move bedding areas and they're coming in from a different direction. So it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more tedious, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the more, you know, the harder it is. And so, yeah, we've all been there. Well, we'll have more deer stories for sure. Matter of fact, today, uh, I have to go out and put back up a camera that a bear tore down. So when you live in bear country or you have property in bear country, this is something you deal with. This is the second camera I've had torn down by a bear. And so right now I'm getting pictures sent to my phone of the grass laying around where, where he knocked it down. So going to go fix that. Hopefully it's not damaged and uh, try to maybe get a little bit closer set up for that target buck that I've left. I've left him alone since I hunted him that one day. So I feel like within the next couple of days, I need to get after him. And then also we have a field to fork event here locally. I'm going to go to the reception this evening and we'll do some education and shooting tomorrow and get some brand new hunters into the field. Thanks to our friends over at the bearded buck. If you haven't seen the bearded buck TV show, look it up. It's really good. And it's actually filmed within um, a lot of it's filmed anyway, within uh, about a half hour, 40 minutes from where, where I live. So uh, pretty good stuff there. Looking forward to getting some new hunters. And Mike, I don't know if you saw this, if you looked in the long range, even though you're in New York, we still get similar weather. Uh, you're a little bit colder there. There's snow in the forecast for early next week. Did you happen to see that? I did. I did. And that's why I think I'm opting to spare my time in the woods to get, to get a lot of these projects done before the snow starts flying. Yeah, that's just it. And it's October still too. So you might have some snow flurries one day and it might be 80 by the weekend. But but to your yeah, point, that's true. most likely though, that the worst, the, the, the bad weather days are going to outnumber the good weather days. So you got to, what do they say? You got to strike while the iron's hot and you're doing that. So I think we're going to end it there, folks. Uh, thank you again for listening. We hope we entertained you with the B-Team report. As I said, it's a good time to be doing the show because there are lots of hunting stories. And always we hope to educate you when we can our guests are uh, do a great job of doing that and i thought sam gave us some good information about scent and scent control today so hopefully you find that useful this is the super bowl for deer hunters folks so hopefully uh, if you're not out there already let's say maybe you're a firearms hunter and your season hasn't started yet hopefully you're out there prepping because it's going to be here before you know it and to everybody else out there we wish you good luck remember send us your ask nda anything questions and your b team stories and we want to see some pictures too send those to nick at deerassociation.com. We'd love to hear from you as always. Hey, take somebody hunting. Take somebody new out to the woods if they haven't been before. Don't be afraid to ask. National Deer Association, where we are, united for deer. <laughs>